On today's show, we're going to continue our performance equals profit series, section number 14. We're going to talk about your CSRs and how to align them with the brand experience. We're going to talk to your technicians. They're going to learn the value of the online reviews and how to get those online reviews. And then I'm going to talk to you about the, the biggest mistakes, really, that your sales guys are going to make coming out of the busy summer months, going into the slower season. Very important information to know. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Now, before we dive into today's content, I want to throw a little something out there for you if you're a non-EGIA member. If you're enjoying the content that the show provides, I'm going to encourage you to check out our full courses by joining the platform for 30 days free of charge. Click the Join button at the top right, then select the Plus Membership. We'll give you access to the full courses so you can start to make your business go to the next level. You know, last week we talked about the importance of the brand experience and how that starts with the CSR. Well, this week we're going to have Gary Ellis come back in and talk about how do we make sure that our CSRs are in alignment, right? They're in congruence with these, uh, the expectations we have for these fantastic customer experiences. So join me now watching Mr. Gary Ellis. So number one, implementation. First thing I want you to do is I want you to conduct a 360-degree review of yourself and your customer service with what we call an employee survey. You can go out on the Contractor University site, you can go into the HR section, Human Resources, go in the best practice that says reviews, 360 degree review process is already there, it's the one I use. I give it to all my team members and I go, I don't care if you put your name on it or not, it doesn't matter, want your feedback, want to know what we're doing right, want to know what we're doing wrong, what you perceive that we're doing wrong, don't care, write it, tell me what's going on. I want, to, I want reviewed on leadership, I want reviewed on what we're doing on customer service, I want what we're doing on employee relationships, benefits, all of it, I don't care. Give it to me, okay? Now, a lot of people are gonna be very nervous about that idea, but that's the exact place that you need to start. Your focal point is in changing people's behavior patterns. You cannot change somebody's behavior pattern until you identify the idea that why they think what they think. It's not about money. It's not about training. It's about how did they arrive at what they think. So I can't tell you what you're thinking unless you tell me what you're thinking. 360 degree survey. Do it. Do it every single year. Get the feedback from your team members. Get the feedback from what's going on in your circle. If you are a one-man band, then you don't have to worry about this. But if you have two people, it's worth doing. If you have 10 people, clearly you need to do that. So a $1 million company that has three technicians, maybe a maintenance technician, probably a bookkeeper, maybe somebody in the office doing some payables, some receivables, maybe doing some customer service dispatch, business owner, and maybe an installation crew and a helper, you might have between eight and 10 employees, you gotta get their feedback, okay? They're gonna tell you exactly what's going on, but the thing that we're gonna attack is the change pattern here on the behaviors, meaning that they may think that they're doing it right for you, and they may believe in their heart of hearts that they are doing it right, and that's where their belief system and your belief system don't match. I want it done this way, you're gonna do it this way, you think you're doing it really well, I'm un unhappy with that, or the customer in the center is unhappy with that, and so sometimes we get feedback and sometimes we don't. 
So that business owner who took my phone call and yelled at me and hung up on me, he doesn't understand the first thing about customer service. He might think he does, but he was a hot-headed entrepreneurial business guy who was a technical guy who got by and built his business because he was the fastest guy to get to the garage door fix. But as he built his business, his transition from an entrepreneurial state to a managerial leadership state is in turmoil. And so what happens is he grew to his Peter principle. His customer service and brand experience practices grew to his level of technical competency. But his bedside manner sucks. So he is paying the price because he ran into a customer who has the capabilities to go out to the marketplace. And he didn't know who I was or what my capabilities were, but you never know who your customers are. You don't know if they're attorneys, you don't know if they're doctors, you don't know who they're connected to, but we're all connected 4.3 to everybody in the world now because of Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. You can't afford the luxury of doing it any other way. Find out what's going on, adjust. Second, you gotta conduct some customer research. One of my favorite stories is of a company down in the Fort Myers area. And this young man uh, has built a pretty impressive revenue stream for a business in a very short amount of time. And he tells the story that the first thing that he did before he opened up his business as an operating unit is he went out and he walked the neighborhoods and he asked about 100 different people that own homes, just knocking on the door, hi, I'm Gary, I'm gonna start up a heating and air conditioning company, air conditioning in this market, and I'd like to know what's important to you about why you would choose an air conditioning company. And he asked 100 customers. So he went to way more than 100 homes because some people are gonna slam the door, but that didn't deter him. What he was doing was he was creating research for himself it created continuity on how he would go about selling, marketing, and what his brand promise would be in that marketplace. He went from zero to $27 million in three years. I don't know about you, but I've never accomplished anything like that. I've gone close to $10 million in a three-year period on a growth plan, and I thought that was pretty special. And to some degree, it is pretty special. On the other hand, I'm looking at that number right there and I'm thinking, that's a pretty amazing statistic, okay? Now, he'd been on Blue Collar Millionaires, he's been out on CNBC. I mean, he's got a story that goes beyond just the principles of what we're talking about. But the first thing that he did was he walked around the neighborhoods and he asked the customers, what makes it important to you to choose an air conditioning company? What do you want? That is market research. Now, you can pay somebody to do that, or you can do it yourself, or you can pay third-party independent standards. You can look at the research that's out there. Personally, from my point of view, the customer research that we've done in the past with our focus groups has given us clarity and direction beyond anything that you can possibly imagine. Now, if you're a smaller business, you might want to join up in a network of organizations. ACA has mixed groups. Uh, you can join other team members, other areas of the country. You guys can work together with your resources. EGIA, through its own research arm, we send out information and we do research that we send out then from feedback for contractors. But this is to the consumer. We do the same thing on the commercial side. Our commercial maintenance uh, 
salespeople, they walk around, they ask people that are in the commercial business. If they say, well, we already got a provider, we say, well, okay, great. Would you mind giving us about 30 seconds? Why did you choose your provider? What's important to you? What kind of things are you interested in? It's consultative sales process, high-gain questions that are creating a research that formulate why you might want to set up a brand experience that you have, okay? So that's why I have a lifetime repair guarantee on my service repairs at this point. Parts and labor if you stay in my club. The customer is insulated against that repair again because the customer said that was important. No overtime, same thing. Seven to seven, no overtime, okay? So these kinds of things are driven by the data that you get back from your customers. Third implementation, you need a benchmarking system in your company. You need to say, I need a certain number of service agreements, but I'm going to need a renewal rate. If your customers are not renewing at the rate that you believe is effective, which is 85%, then that means your price value relationship and your brand deliverable, in other words, your experience that you're delivering, isn't enough to cover up the sin of the price of what you're doing. So I've had people say, well, people have told me that the service agreement's too expensive. Okay, what that really is saying is that they don't believe that the money that they're giving you is giving them the value back for what they're giving you. If they were feeling that they got 10 times the value for the service agreement, then they would give you that money because they would say, this is a great deal. So the customer does not feel as if they've done well in the negotiation process. So when you are not renewing your service agreements, that is a clear indication that your brand experience, your technicians are not building a relationship with the customer. And that's the foundation of what you really are doing. You've heard me say in video one, our entire purpose is to build a customer relationship. It's not about selling them equipment or selling them service or selling them indoor air quality. It's about creating a relationship with the customer where there's trust. So if they have a particular problem, they're willing to listen to us and they'll, they'll buy things because they're informed and educated and they make a decision. But they're a client that's doing business with us on a repeat basis. You know, also last week we talked uh, with Gary Ellix about the importance of the online reviews. We know everybody's using the Google and the different uh, sources there online to get the reviews and make decisions about whether or not they're going to choose your company. Well, uh, Gary talked about the importance of it last week. This week, he's going to talk about how do you get more online reviews so you can grow that reputation on the internet. If we do reviews, and I do encourage you as a service manager, uh, or again, if I'm a solopreneur and I've got maybe one or two techs that are working for me, it's probably going to be more of a daily coaching experience, weekly coaching experience, could do some ride-alongs with the guys. Obviously, that's a different model than a company that, say, has 20 technicians and has a full-time service management function, maybe even somebody else that's supporting the maintenance side. That set of reviews is a discussion point for you to make sure you understand that you're reviewing here what is important here. So whatever we have in terms of the expectations document, what are we trying to get the technicians to actually deliver to the client, both in terms of client experience, but also, hey, check that box. We need those reviews. So that's part of the discussion that we would have on our service manager review process. Now, if you don't understand what that is, um, on the site, on the best practices platform under service management, there is an actual one-page form that we use that we've created that says, 
when we do a ride-along and we absolutely go with the technician, this is a form that we use to guide the service manager to give consistent, keyword, consistent feedback to the technician about the bullet points that we care about as a professional company to deliver client experience. So what do I care about as a company goes on the ride-along discussion, but it's based on the idea that we have had a conversation and a dialogue with the technician about what is important, why it's the deliverable to the client, why this makes us better. The outcomes are clear. Uh, more reviews, more people seeing more positive reviews, should say positive reviews, not just reviews, but positive ones. More people seeing that, more traffic to the site, more referrals, more opportunities for links in social media. We're tying the reviews into the social media platforms now on the digital platform. So the idea that we're creating opportunities to expose people in, through impressions about our brand, about your company's brand, is critical. So understanding why the technician is doing that is part of the review process, but that's part of the coaching discussion. So here's the thing. Most of us have a group of technicians or a technician, and they may not be in love with the idea of doing this extra step. I mean, that's the challenge that we hear about constantly. Is how do I get my guys more involved? How do I get them bought in? How do I change that behavior pattern? And the answer is belief systems, making them understand the thinking pattern, making them understand the why. Back to Simon Sinek, you know, why? You know, you have to start with why. And so the uh, performance reviews and the ride-alongs go hand in hand so that we're coaching on the things that we feel are primary and are important. And so there's always going to be things that we're asking them to do that aren't primary, aren't important. Obviously, fixing the piece of equipment, fixing the customer, communicating the service agreement. These are primary items, but also then closing the transaction, closing up the process. You know, having the review process on an iPad or having some system where it's easy for the tech and easy for the client, um, that's the name of the game. And then last but not least, the question of training. Uh, how often do you want to train? How often do you want to spend time where you are doing what we would call real play? Real play is nothing more than role play in real life. So write the most challenging issues that the technicians face because you've seen that, you've had a dialogue. You say, hey, Mr. Gary, what are the toughest customers for you? Which ones you know, don't seem to be reacting well to our communication? What are your challenges? What are the most difficult things that you face? So cataloging those and then putting together real plays or role plays that produce those opportunities in your training events. Again, we're advocates of daily training, but if it's weekly or if it's monthly based on the communication models that we've talked about in the tech training and the tech communication, the idea would be that this is an opportunity for you to use group training where I maybe do the role play and I'm participating and the rest of the team gets to see what's going on. We debrief, we construct the conversation, we try to learn, and we go back out and we keep doing that over and over and over again. Over time, what happens is that training has its effect and you will see an improvement in those behavior patterns. So the secret is to understand what it is that you want the technician to be. My personal experience is I find that most companies do not have a well-organized role description or set of expectations that they can actually say to a technician, this is what we want you to be as a professional. This is what we're hoping to accomplish you know, on a service call. So we use, obviously, the perfect service call process, but that ties back to the role description. 
And as, as times change, as things change, things like reviews are now very important to our digital platforms, we need to change. We need to understand that that's part of the process. That's why this lives in leadership as well as digital marketing and technician communication. So this touches three or four different boundaries inside of the overall platform. Let's go back over to the main studio. All right, so uh, we've gone through some discussion points. I'd like to pull up this slide for you and just kind of go through. If you look at the right-hand side, I just want to talk about the client experience side of things. So it's necessary for you as a business to realize that client experience is not some sort of a mystical you know, magic pixie dust that we sprinkle on top of a client and they're happy and all of a sudden they're going to write a great review. Client experience is a deliverable. And there's a lot of places where that deliverable touches both the customer service, the dispatch function, the technician, ultimately the consumer. So we need to understand how that works. So the core values and the client experience go hand in hand. So I've listed the group of example core values that live on the site. Uh, each one of these has to have behavior patterns. So what does integrity mean? What does operational excellence mean? But if we scroll down there and we just look a little farther down where it says exceed expectations, the ability for us as a business to exceed the customer's expectations is grounded in the principle that, yeah, we need to be communicating well, we need to be professionals, we also need to be able to say to the customer, we would really appreciate the opportunity for you to give us feedback. So I can honestly tell you that here's how it works. Uh, if somebody in the hotel industry, in, the, in what we would call the um, uh, home uh, ho services or hotel business, um, if they ask me to produce a review later on email, I almost never complete that process. So when they ask me on site, to answer just a few basic questions while I'm there, I tend to participate because I'm actively engaged. So one of the things that we need to understand is that exceeding expectations, the customer's right there, they've, they've seen the technician, we've done a great job communicating, we've probably fixed the you know, call hopefully the first time, we've had the part, you know, we've, we've got the bill paid. This is the moment when they feel pretty good about this relationship. Their air conditioner was broken, now it's repaired. This is the chance for us to actually get the review process. So doing it on the spot is key. When we leave, the odds of the client actually conducting the review process after the fact, they go way down. So again, just my own personal behavior pattern. When I'm there and I'm engaged at a restaurant and somebody asks me, I tend to participate because I'm feeling good. The client experience deliverable is happening to me right now. So I'm in an emotional state where I actually feel compatible to go ahead and do this. So it's time, but you know, it's one of those questions where you know, two, three, four questions is great. I've also had an experience at a restaurant, and uh, my business partner will laugh about this. Um, they asked me for that. They handed me the iPad, but they asked me to do the review. I actually sat down and participated in the review, and the first question came, and then there was a series of A, B, C, D, and it went through the whole alphabet. There was 26 questions behind the first question. And I was really aggravated by that, and since then, that's turned me off. So I think one of the things you need to be very careful in is you want to know what your net promoter score is. You want to know about you know, five star, what, what does that mean to a client? Obviously, you want to know and, and get five star reviews. But if you're asking for direct feedback about you know, professionalism, you know, were we on time, were you satisfied with our experience, et cetera, two or three questions is about the limit that you want to have if you're doing direct feedback to the client. And then obviously, you want to be able to get them to produce the five star reviews. So uh, just 
understand that it's necessary that as a business, we have our core values, our culture, and our definitions of what we expect the technician to develop as a professional, as a role description, as a set of expectations. If we don't do that, then we don't have the linkage to the training. We're not aligned. So the biggest problem in training is we're training around an idea, but it's an idea only. It's not aligned with the bigger purpose, the why. So the why of this is the reviews are how customers are now changing their opinions about whether or not I choose you or I choose somebody else. So having your company reviews at least you know, to the point where you have the number of reviews up and that you have the power of the actual 4.0 or better. Obviously, 5 is better than 4, but we know from the local research that 4.0 or better is necessary. So if you're a 3.8, you're going to need more reviews, which means you're going to need to engage the technicians. In this next section, I want to talk about some of the biggest mistakes, the biggest challenges that sales consultants face coming out of the busy season going into the slow season. So here's the thing. You got to kind of look at the sales function. There's kind of two components to it, right? There's the close rate and then there's the average ticket. One of the reasons that we always use revenue per lead is kind of the benchmark for sales performance is because it factors in the close rate and average ticket, right? You take, you blend those two and you get the average revenue per lead, not per sale, but per lead. If I give somebody 10 leads and they put up 40 grand on those 10 leads, that's $4,000 average revenue per lead. So it factors in the average ticket and the close rate. But here's the thing, during the summertime, it's very common that we can cut both of the corners that drive those two metrics. And here's what I mean by that. When you think about the close rate, the close rate primarily is a reflection of the strength of the relationship, the strength of the recommendations, you know, the strength of the sales professional's ability to close. Those all affect the close rate because people buy from people they like, obviously. So if you have a great relationship with a homeowner, then you know, that's going to you know, tend to lead to more sales. And uh, the better you are closing, that's going to in increase your close rate as well. So that's one, one part of the, the sales conversion. The other part is the average ticket. The average ticket really is more a reflection of the depth of your investigation, right? The more problems you find in the home, the more pain points you find with the homeowner, the more opportunities you have to offer solutions. And the more solutions you offer and sell, the higher the average ticket. So you got those two things going on. Well, during the summertime, one of the things we see a lot is that while conversion rates go higher, because the weather in many cases is motivating people to make a decision, it's very, very common for the average ticket to actually come down, right? Why is that? Well, it's real simple. You get busy, very busy, and you tend to solve fewer problems for homeowners. Buy an air conditioning system and go, right? Because you don't have the time maybe to go into the indoor air quality and the duct work and the attic insulation and IQ and all those different things. So here's what happens a lot of times. We come out of the summer. During the summertime, we've been doing less of a thorough job on the investigation stage because we've been so busy and we've been relying on the weather to help us close. Well, all of a sudden you get to September and we're not really sharp on our closing skills and we're not really very sharp on our investigation stage and what we see all of a sudden is close rates and average ticket go through the floor and this is why we always say when you go into September you have to get back to the basics one of my favorite quotes right Vince Lombardi the famous football coach every summer the same thing gentlemen this 
is a football, right? They would get that basic, right? These are professional football players, but they would have those basic conversations. Well, it's critically important that you get back to basics as you move out of the summer into the slower seasons. Now, the great thing for you as a member of our program, you have access to the contract university and all the mindset and the sales training. So I strongly encourage all of our members to take a couple of days at the end of summer and review all the basics. Go through the core sales training again. Sharpen your skills. Get back to some basic role play. Sharpen your skills on closing the deal and growing your average ticket, which again is a reflection of the, 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 the degree of your investigation stage. This is really, really important stuff. When you go through your customer survey, you get back to the slower seasons, you've got to slow that process down. You've got to find those problems your homeowner has. You've got to get permission. Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, is that something I should keep in mind when I design your solutions tonight? Right? You've got to get back to those basics. Back to the basics of relationship building. I was on a call last week with a client out in California, and it was really interesting. It was a young guy, about 35 years old, uh, wife, three or four kids. I think she was pregnant with another. And he needed about $2,000 worth of repairs to his system. Right now, obviously, when I'm on a lead, relationship is my strength. I'm going to really get to know that person and what I refer to as the self-disclosure loop and sharing personal things about myself, and he shares personal things. Well, at one point in the conversation, we're out in his backyard, and the guy shares a story with me. I mean, we were really connecting on a deep level. He shares his story with me that his first wife died of a heart attack in her 20s, right? And so we're commiserating about that, just talking about death and losing, you know, and, and bad things happen to good people, all that kind of stuff. So we had this super, super strong relationship. An hour and a half later, at the, at the end of the conversation, he's debating whether he spends the two grand on repairs or buys a new system. So he goes in the house. He said, let me go talk to my wife. He goes in the house. He talks to his wife for a while. He comes back out. He turns to me and he says, we're just going to do the repairs. Now, I had already decided in my mind that there was no way I could allow this guy to do $2,000 worth of repairs to this system. This system was 20 years old. It wasn't worth 200 bucks. And the second he puts two grand into it, something else is going to happen. And so I just could not in good conscience allow the guy to spend $2,000 on a system that wasn't worth 200 bucks. So he comes out and he says, you know, we're just going to go with the repairs. And I looked him dead in the eye. The guy's name was Eric. And I said, Eric, I can't let you do that. I cannot in good conscience allow you to spend $2,000 on this system that's not worth 200 bucks. You have to replace it. And the guy looks at me, he had his vape, and he looks down, he hits his vape, he looks at the ground for a second, he looks back up, he says, okay, let's get the new system. Now here's the thing, the reason I was able to do that is because I'm an expert at building relationships, and I had such a strong relationship with him that when I told him, gave him my advice, he didn't take it from me as a pushy sales guy. He took it from me as a friend who was telling him, the right thing to do because he was like Thelma and Louise in a convertible going off the cliff putting 2,000 bucks in that old system. I couldn't let it happen. And I had the strength of conviction, the certainty of conviction that I could not let him do it and I had the relationship such that I could look him dead in the eye and say, I can't let you do that. My point is this, folks. The relationship building, the investigation, your ability to have honest, hardcore conversation with your homeowners, those things do not happen quickly. It takes time to develop that kind of relationship on a sales call. In the summertime, you get away with it, right? Because you're selling so much stuff, people just want cool, they want cool air, cool air, cool air. When it's 75 degrees outside in September, they got cool air. You're gonna have to get back to the basics of building that relationship 
investigating those problems and leveraging the problems and leveraging the relationship to close the deal. If you don't get ready for, for, for the slower seasons, you're going to get toasted in September and October. Eventually, you'll say, man, maybe I better get back to basics, but by then you've lost two months of revenue. Don't wait until it's too late. Get out there at the beginning of September, even the end of August, start reviewing the basics of the program. Get back to basics of overcoming objections, objections asking for the order, building the relationship. It's the only way, the only way that you can be sure that you're ready and to not lose ground in the cooler fall and winter months. That's good advice, and I hope that you heed it. Folks, that's our show for this week. Make sure your CSRs are doing their thing. Make sure your technicians are doing their thing, and make sure our sales guys are doing our thing, too, getting back to basics. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you in a week or so, and until then, bye-bye for now.